Holy God, by your spirit, reveal to us your radical, surprising love. Come to us through your holy word, and let us hear what you are saying. Amen. So when I was maybe 11 or 12, I remember sitting in the living room with my dad watching TV. It was a documentary on the Beatles. I still feel like we're still at the point where I don't have to explain who the Beatles are, right? <laughs> feel like. It was the Hollywood inside story or something like that back in the 90s. A large portion of this show was devoted to the time the Beatles spent in India meeting various Hindu religious leaders, meditating, chanting, doing a sort of religious pilgrimage. And this kind of interest in Eastern religion and philosophy was big in the hippie area, but most people generally left it behind. And most of the Beatles, too, except, according to this documentary, George Harrison, you know, depending on your opinion, the third best Beatle, no. <laughs> Second worst Beatle, third best, no. He might be your favorite, I don't know. His interest in Eastern mysticism continued into the 70s, into the 80s, and beyond, even to his death in the 2000s. And I didn't know all of this backstory, of course, on it, so I asked my dad why George Harrison was so into these things. And my dad, not a particularly religious man, an auto mechanic by trade, responded with crystal clarity. He was looking for God, he said. He was looking for God. I don't know where my dad got that, but it came at exactly the right time. George Harrison was looking for God, my dad said. He was seeking, searching. He was on a spiritual pilgrimage. Looking back, I've realized that this was, first of all, the most spiritually profound moment I've ever had with my dad on the, on the couch in front of the TV. But also, I think the idea of looking for God really does say something crucial about spirituality in the modern world. Because the idea of looking for God before, say, the 1960s would have seemed relatively strange to say. Because most people inherited a spiritual tradition of some kind, one that would have provided them with meaning from cradle to grave. Not much searching would be required, although you would have some enthusiastic people, but they would be the minority. God of some kind or another would have been a given, but the 60s sort of challenged all sorts of social norms and traditional sources of authority, including religion. These things were seen as oppressive, stifling to the individual. So the idea of an inherited tradition or transcendent meaning or purpose beyond what we can taste, touch, or see is no longer the majority position in the West in Canada and Europe especially. You may have discovered this for yourself. But this hasn't meant a loss of spirituality, but a sort of transformation. The renowned Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor wrote a hugely influential 900-page book uh, <laughs> a few years ago called A Secular Age, and he kind of chronicles this shift in perspective. Taylor, who's both Catholic who's Catholic and sympathetic to this new trend, calls this the spirituality of the quest. The spirituality of the quest. In this spirituality, each person is encouraged to find meaning for themselves, authentic to themselves, to undertake a kind of quest. 
to seek and discover their individual destiny, or as my dad would have put it, in our culture, we're looking for God, George Harrison style. Now, it would be easy for us to criticize this new style of spirituality as consumer-driven, as self-centered, radically individualistic, but there's also something I think lines up well with the longer Christian tradition, something that goes deep to the roots. At the heart of the Christian tradition is the idea that we're created to seek God from the very beginning. The fifth century church father, St. Augustine, prayed, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And in the 20th century, Narnia author C.S. Lewis talked about each of us having a God-shaped hole in our souls, one longing to be filled. So this shift to seeing religious faith as a quest, rather than as a received package of truth, this can be seen in some ways, at least, as a retrieval or a revival of something fundamental to the Christian tradition in the beginning. We may look for God in all the wrong places, don't get me wrong, but the fact that we're looking, searching, questing, that's part of being human it's built right into us from the beginning. So, with all this stuff in mind, I couldn't help but read this morning's scripture as a questing text, a story about searching and longing for God, but it kind of has a twist, and I'll get to the twist later. Our text follows Jesus' death. We're not sure how long after Good Friday or Easter, but some of Jesus' followers are gathered together, a half dozen or so of them, by the Sea of Tiberias, it says, which is the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's where Jesus began his ministry. Here Jesus appeared to them, seemingly out of nowhere, inviting them to drop their fishing nets and follow him. The problem is that for them, life isn't what it was like before. It's the same place but it seems empty. I'm going fishing, says Simon Peter. And the rest of them agree to go along, all along. They fish all night, it says, but they catch nothing. Zero. I won't make you guess. The point, though, isn't so much about their terrible fishing skills, which is entirely possible. Their lack of success reflects the reality of their situation. After this incredible adventure, with Jesus, the disciples have turned in, gone back to everyday, ordinary life. Even though they go back to what they know best, they still have this sense of aimlessness, the sense of purposelessness, purple, purple, purposelessness. Without Jesus for them, life doesn't just doesn't have the same shine, the same excitement, the same meaning. Their empty necks reflect a deeper reality, their nets aren't the only thing that's empty. They're empty too. So they head out to the sea, searching. And so they're wandering in their boat in the Sea of Tiberias, looking, searching for what's missing. Like us, Jesus' disciples are on a spiritual quest, even if they wouldn't say that, even if they don't quite know it. Our scripture is a quest story like I said. 
But like I said as well, it's got a bit of a twist to it. Actually, three twists. Three key points that I want you to go home with about what a spiritual quest is in the way of Jesus. First, we don't have to go anywhere to search. I know you're all disappointed. You got, you know, you've got your trip to India booked. You know. But we don't have to go anywhere to search. As the disciples are heading home, this mysterious figure is standing on the shore. None of them know who it is. Eventually, we discover it's Jesus, risen from the dead. But at first, the disciples don't recognize him. You have no fish, do you, he asks. I mean, that's kind of a, they don't even know who this guy is, and it's a bit of a mean thing to say. Jesus isn't out at sea where they're searching, you notice, but he's waiting for them on the shore. He's waiting for them at home, Galilee, their neighborhood, the boring old place where they live and work. You see, I think we assume that the quest requires us to head off somewhere, do something amazing or out of the ordinary. Could you go traveling to holy places to leave and find ourselves somewhere in the big city to discover our destiny? But here Jesus shows up on the beach, outside, even when they aren't even looking for him. Because the thing about God is that God is actually seeking us. God shows up on the shore, right where we live, here and now. We don't have to go out to find God because the place where God is, is here and now. And I don't just mean church, although hopefully God's here. But you'll find God not on a trip to the sea, but on the beach, in our neighborhood, in our families, relationships. You'll find God, you'll find Christ in the face of the poor, the least, the lost, the sick, and the down and out. We don't have to go anywhere to search for God. Right here, right now. That's the first point. The quest begins right there, or right here, right now. And the second point is that this quest leads us not into a different life, but the transformation, the change of our present lives. That's number two. Remember how they're fishing all night, their nets are empty, Jesus gives them a little advice, throw your nets over on the right side of the boat instead, they follow Jesus' directions, and not only do they catch a few fish, the fish, the nets are full. They're bursting at the seams. This is where they finally recognize Jesus, by the way, the abundance that Jesus brings. Not only does God find them where they are, God fills their emptiness as they are. They're still fishermen. Working nine to five, trying to make a living. They're not, they don't have to go off and be monks. You know, maybe some of them could. But that part doesn't change. Their lives are now marked by the sense of fullness in everyday life. As fishermen, as they are, we don't have to be special. We don't have to be gurus. We don't have to be mystics. We don't have to be pastors, even. Believe it or not. We don't have to be uniquely spiritual or holy people to find God. We don't have to become different people, at least not in one way, but we become more fully ourselves, made whole, renewed. 
My friend Ed Searcy, who was once undergoing steroid treatments, used to say, I'm like Ed, but just more Ed, you know? More human, like Ryan, but more Ryan. More human, but more like Jesus, the fully human one. Where we are in day-to-day -day living, the quest is for everybody, no matter the tools of our trade, our nets can be filled with the gift of God's grace. Jesus says, I have come to give them life and give it abundantly, life to the full. It's a gift to be received, not a prize to be earned. Maybe there's a difference there in the quest metaphor. Okay, that's number two. Number three is this. The quest begins where we are. It starts with us as we are to live fuller lives, but here's the third point. The quest just doesn't end there. In fact, the quest never ends, at least not in our lifetime. When the disciples pull into shore, their nets so full it could be bursting, Jesus is playing chef, right? He's got a charcoal, charcoal fire going with some fish and bread on it. He invites them to bring their catch so he can serve it up, and he gathers them at the table, breaks it, and serves them. He serves them a big breakfast, a big breakfast. This isn't the end of the journey, you know. The New Testament scholar Francis Gensch says that this isn't a dinner before nighttime that singles, signals the end. But this is a big breakfast to give them strength, the energy for their work together ahead as Jesus' followers. The quest has only just begun, and they're getting bread, food for the journey on the way. This quest will take their whole lives. I think when we imagine a spiritual quest, we imagine a destination. One day, when we'll be fully enlightened. One day, when we'll finally reach the Holy Grail. You know, we are climbing to Jacob's ladder. There's the top. Hit the bell. Bing! And life is perfect. Full satisfaction. Boom! Found God. But here, the quest doesn't work like that. They find Jesus on the shore, but really, it's the only the beginning. For us, the quest has a destination for sure, life in God, but it's not one we're done in our lifetime. The quest comes with a sense of dissatisfaction, yes, with the way the world is. We long for the coming together of heaven and earth for good, but the promise is that we'll be filled, fed, sustained through the trials and tribulations of life from beginning to end. Because for us, the quest has only begun, a quest that takes our entire lives from beginning to end. That's number one, two, and three. We live in this strange time. It's a new and different time, this time of searching, questing after the divine, but it's actually not so new and not so different. It's part of our makeup. It's part of our human nature. We're looking for God. I mean, my dad was right all along. I knew it. I knew it. He always said, I'm right and you're wrong, but, you know, he was. But if you find yourself searching, questing, the good news is you don't have to look much further because the good news is you don't have to go far. The good news is you don't have to be uniquely spiritual or uniquely holy. The good news is that the quest begins right here 
right now because God comes to us where we are in the flesh, in our wandering, in our emptiness. God comes to us as we are, fills our nets, and feeds our deepest hungers and sets us out on the road to come. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For God abounds in love and mercy and welcomes our return. For in Christ, God came to us that we might have abundant life. And that's good news. And for that, thanks be to God. Amen.